my wife is here on the front row, in case you don't know her, wave at everybody. Uh, that's my beautiful wife, Amy, and she teaches sixth grade, um, and she takes her class every year on a fun educational trip uh, that we go to Gulf Shores. That's probably why you see me a different shade than I was last week, because we were out in the sun for three days uh, walking around with, uh, with students and that kind of thing. But she takes them on this trip, and they learn marine science. Um, they go, and they seine in the water. They, like, pull nets through the water, and they pull the stuff up, and they identify it. Uh, it's just a really, really fun thing. And last year, I got the chance to chaperone the trip uh, because we were limited on guys who showed up or, you know, fathers to be able to have the days off and that kind of thing. And so I helped chaperone and the food was terrible, y'all. It was really bad last year. Uh, So Amy said, hey, this year, can you come and be the chef? (laughs) And I said, gladly, I will feed everyone. That'll be awesome. And so I got the opportunity this week to go on that trip and to feed the the 40 people total that were there and to do five or six meals for them and that kind of stuff. It was a lot of work, but I'm glad we did it. The reason why I lead out with that story is because I'm leading into my message uh, and I want to tell you a conversation that I had with some of the men around the table. We had some guys who showed up, some fathers who showed up to chaperone and just in the natural course of conversation, we're talking and they want to get to know you a little bit. And so we're swapping stories like you do when you meet somebody for the first time. Well, they know a little bit about Amy and a little bit about our life. The students hear about it, and then she shares it with them. Uh, She shares it with them, and they go home and share it with their parents and that kind of thing. So one of the dads says to me, he says, so I got to know, how how did you get born and raised in Florida, live in New Jersey a lot of your life, also moved to Hawaii, and now somehow you landed in Clinton, Mississippi? Like, you've got to tell me that story. And so I was sitting there and I was thinking, and something just came to me just off the cuff right in that moment. And I said, you know, it was a series of happy accidents. And it just like came out. Like I'd, I hadn't said those words before. And I just thought, you know what? It's some things that I thought, yeah, I screwed up. And I didn't make the right choice or something, but somehow I landed in the right place and God was doing something to direct my life. I love what Mandy said this morning. Really, everything in our life, even our faith in our trying moments, is a choice. And so as I thought about the Heart for the House series that we're in, we talked last week, and I want to bring you up to speed if you don't realize it or weren't here. Uh, We talked about Heart for the House. We do this once a year where we do several weeks of a message series, and we also do what we call a giving initiative. And what we want to do is we want to provide funding for something that we believe God's put on our heart. And the reason why I say happy accidents, because it's the title of my message today. And I want you to stop and think for just a moment about a happy accident you've had in your life. You say, well, pastor, what is that exactly? It's something where you thought, hey, this is going to lead to chaos. I I don't have a job any longer. I this, I that. I made this choice. Or you might have actually made a mistake. And then somehow it turned out better than you thought. Our life is filled with moments like that. And there's, there's proof all throughout the word of God that God works in the most chaotic environments ever. And what he does is he always brings order to those environments. 
The chaos that was at creation in the beginning of time, he brings order to it. The moments where Joseph, who was kicked out by his brothers, sold as a slave, and then gets thrown in prison later in Egypt, God was working out his plan in all that chaos. Whatever happy accident you're facing right now, I know I've had some happy accidents in my life that I couldn't tell in the moment God was going to do something great, but I, I can look back now and I can see the handiwork of God. I can see his hand doing something awesome and beautiful in my life. And so I'm really thankful that those happy accidents have led me here. But I want you to think about the happy accidents that you might have experienced in your life because the truth is this. The happy accidents that we face or that we experience, maybe sometimes endure, God is directing our steps through those moments. And chances are, highly likely, that they are divinely directed by God because God can take even your screw up and cause it to be a victory. Amen? Like that's hopeful, right? You should have a smile on your face knowing that God can fix whatever you break. He can put it back together. He can do something awesome with whatever junk we bring to him. So last week, as we talked about Heart for the House and um, started into this series, I gave you an opportunity to take a faith promise card. They're at our prayer stations, which if you'll just look to your left or your right, there are two little tables over here. They've got little cards on them, and they've got faith promise cards. There are people who came to service last week, and we talked about the faith promise and what it is. I'll share again today what it is to remind you or to inform you. And then if you took it home and prayed about it and want to fill it out today, we want you to put it into our giving box on your way out the door so that we can see what that faith promise is. Uh, when we talk about Heart for the House, we've done different projects throughout the years um, that we've instituted, the Heart for the House series. And last year, we did something pretty incredible. You parked your car beside it, or in front of it, behind it, if you will, and that is the playground outside. We were able to put up a playground and fencing. Um, there are things that could be done around here all the time that could use extra funding, but really what we shared last week was God is directing our church in this moment to do something for the benefit of our teenagers. We have not had a youth ministry in more than seven years because we only recently in the last few years had one teenager, bless his heart, thank you, Sean, um, <laughs> faithful, mom and dad keep dragging him here, so that's great. He's, he's the pioneer, okay? And, um, and God started doing something in our hearts just a few months ago when the Lord laid it on Maddie's heart and on Eric's heart to be able to volunteer their time and to invest into having a youth night. And so we did a couple youth nights, and then after that, we said, you know what? This is so fun. Let's do it every week. And we just kept going, and we're going to do it through the summer. Maddie and Eric will be leaving. Uh, they've got other commitments throughout the summer, but we're going to continue to do youth nights throughout the summer. And so we're really excited to have a place for teenagers to come and to grow in their faith. Yes, we talk about silly stuff. We hang out and we eat pizza and we play games. But in the midst of all of that, God is doing a work in the hearts of those who come. 
So just like we do an age-specific ministry for our kids in all the different rooms that are there, and just like you get age-specific ministry here on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights if you come to the journey, we want to do that same thing for our teenagers. They're so important to us. They're at a pivotal stage in their life, right, boys? They're at a pivotal stage in their life where they need direction. They need God's help and his guidance. They need a biblical foundation for the choices that they're going to make. And the only way to get that influence is by being here or being somewhere where they can get that good and godly influence. So we're really thankful that this year we've dedicated ourselves to giving towards Heart for the House for our next gen, our teen ministry. We set a goal of $3,000 because what we're doing is we want to raise an annual budget so that we'd be able to help sponsor those who can't afford the full price of camp or convention and things like that and buy supplies and that kind of stuff. And so as we do that with resources that you give. Last week, I was blown away at what you did with your faith promise cards. And I want you to know if you've turned one in, I have prayed for you this week that God would answer your prayer and that he would match your faith and even in some cases double it or triple it so that more would come in than expected. But here's what I do want to say. If you were here last week and you took it home to pray about it, Do whatever God put on your heart to do. If you're here today, even though we're excited about what's already happened and what's already been promised in the future, we want you to still have a stake in this. We want you to have a responsibility in this too because we believe that as we share the burden, we share the blessing, amen? Isn't that true in our life that as we share the burden with one another that we share the blessing? So I want you to go with me in your Bibles today to James chapter one. I wanna share with you a thought uh, that came to me as I was thinking through happy accidents and the different things that transpire in our life. I started thinking about James and his letter in James, he writes in chapter one, if you'll go there with us, we'll also have the verses on the screen. James chapter one, we're just gonna read the first four verses. He gives this intro to the, to the letter, okay? I want you to think about this because I never take for granted the fact that you know the whole Bible and every detail of it. I don't either. I study it all the time. That's my job. But here's the deal. James writes a letter and most likely writes it on a parchment scroll that gets unrolled, okay? And then he has people who are sitting in a room that, that were the first copy machines. <laughs> and they sat there and they copied down what was on the original and they made copies of it. Now he's sending that letter out and he's sending it out to the churches that are already gathered and to the Jews that are in something called the dispersion. And I'm going to explain that to you. But here's what he says in verse one. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So, Here's what happens. You guys remember a guy named Nebuchadnezzar? Raise your head, nod your head, something, okay? All right, do you remember the word Babylon, the city of Babylon, okay, that's mentioned in the Old Testament? Here's what happens. God allows the people of Israel to go into exile. That was not a happy accident. That was, a, that was not good, okay? It's just not good all around, okay? God allows them, though, to be captive by Babylon. They go there to that place. Then once the king, once the authority line changes, a new king is there, God allows them, after a certain number of years, to be released from the place of Babylon. Well, that king who's get, who gets installed, he says, y'all can go back to your homeland and go back to Jerusalem and, and that kind of thing, but 
if you want to stay here, you can. That was the first major immigration that happened that we have like a biblical record of because they were taken captive and went out. And then they were sent with grace to go back to their homeland. But there were lots of people who said, you know what? I actually like this place called Babylon. I think I'll stay. Me and my family, we're going to stay. So all of a sudden, there were Jews that populated other parts of the world outside of Israel. There's a word that we use in theology called diaspora, and it actually just means that word, distributed or dispersion. So now James, in the New Testament, Jesus has come, he has died on the cross, he's risen from the grave, now his apostles and disciples are out there ministering to people, and James is writing this letter to those Jews who have been living in the far reaches of other places. He says, as to the 12 tribes of Israel in those places, greetings. Here's what he's gonna say to them, verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I thought there was good news. <laughs> there is good news, but listen to what he says. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The reason why he's saying that is because your attitude is your responsibility. Mama, come on, amen? <laughs> All right, daddy, amen? Right? We say that. We would say something like that to our kids, but for each one of us, we have a choice too. Even as a grown-up, even as a college kid, even as a you know, single mom, even as a grandmother, whatever it is, any stage of your life that you're in, you have a choice about what your attitude is going to be like. You can choose to accept it and to grin and bear it and to just walk through it, or you can say, you know what, God, maybe you're going to do something awesome in this. Here's what he's doing. He's writing this letter to those Jews who've been dispersed throughout the world. And he says, I know y'all have faced some really hard times, but I want you to count it joy because God's up to something. It's hard to see him up to something when you're facing maybe nothing, <laughs> no, no hope in the future or a brick wall. You're facing something that's momentous or bigger than you could ever imagine. It's hard to have hope in that moment, but the choice is ours. So he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet these trials of various kinds, for you know, verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So um, I'm not gonna hate on TV preachers by name, but I will tell you, sometimes when we listen to those feel-good messages on TV, it might give us this understanding that our faith never has to be tested, but it does. It has to be tried, and we walk through fires and storms and chaos and disorder, and in the midst of heartache and broken lives, God wants to do something awesome. And he'll do it if we have the right attitude to walk through it. Amen? So he says there, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. How many of you wish you didn't have to have steadfastness? <laughs> yeah, I wish I didn't have to have faithfulness and hard work and all that stuff. I wish it was a lot easier than it is, but it's not. And it's going to be okay because God is with us. Listen to what it says in verse 4. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
When I read these verses and I think about what that word steadfastness means, it's, it's literally the image of an anchor of a ship in the midst of a storm, keeping that boat. There's still movement, but it's keeping that boat in that area. God wants to produce steadfastness in our life through the trials that we face, through the hard things that we face, and it's got to have a full effect. The effect is actually your perfection. So I'm just like you. I do sit around and complain to Jesus. <laughs> I do go, God, why me? Why is this happening like this? Why don't I have this? Why don't this work out? Why doesn't this happen? I do the same thing you do when I'm not thinking about living my life according to the Bible and God's word when James says, but wait, hello, steadfastness having its full effect in you will make you perfect and complete. But in order to get there, you got to go through the junk, through the stuff. So I say that because we've been talking about happy accidents this morning, and it is a happy accident that we've walked in the direction of having a youth ministry. Our teenagers are not happy accidents. I mean, I don't know what the real story is about their birth and stuff, but I'm just saying I'm glad that they're here, and I'm glad that they're part of our church family now these days. But I want you, I wanted to take two, a two-pronged approach to this message because I really want to speak to the heart that God put inside of you about whatever it is that you're facing. Because there is turmoil in lives in this very room. There are issues with, within homes and marriages in this very room represented here today. There are people that are hurting and broken but God can make something amazing out of what's broken if we look to him in the midst of our need. So jump down to verse 12 of that chapter. I love what James says here. He says, blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. My love for God supersedes the chaos of my life. My understanding of his grace and his love towards me helps me weather whatever storm I face in the midst of whatever confusion or issue or problem or challenge, whatever it is. I understand that he loves me, and it says there, which God has promised to those who love him. God promises a reward to you and I as we focus on, on him in the midst of whatever challenge we face. I don't know if you've ever, I, I would assume that everybody in this room knows who Bob Ross is, but there are some older folks uh, that would be, and I'm saying 30s and above, that would remember Bob Ross, okay? Um, Bob Ross was a famous uh, TV painter and artist, okay? Um, he had really funny hair. So everybody nod your head if you know who I'm talking about, Bob Ross, okay? And he's standing there. There's a black cloth behind him. He's got a single canvas there, and he's painting these landscape pictures. The kids who are with us this morning, can we welcome our elementary kids who are here? Let's give them a hand clap. So the kids who are with us today, you guys have a coloring sheet, and I want you to draw a picture of something that we talk about today in one of those areas on your coloring sheet. And when you turn it in at the end of the service, you will get candy. Does that sound awesome or what? 
okay? And then your parents will tell you, don't eat it until after lunch or whatever, but we'll give you some candy, okay? So we want you to do that this morning and be like Bob Ross. So for those who are not drawing and coloring, listen up here because I will tell you this. Bob Ross had some funky hair. He wore some plain clothes. He had a large palette, a paint palette, and he would stand there in front of a canvas and he had this amazing approach. In fact, there are people who attribute the cooking shows of today to Bob Ross, because he literally spoke to that screen, to that camera, like there was just one person, and he was instructing people how to do this. On the bottom of the screen, the colors of the paints would show up, so if you wanted to buy your own paint, you could follow along and do it. And so he would make these things, and then he would say, oh, we're going to draw some happy clouds here, and some happy trees, and, and he was just like a jovial sort of guy. Uh, he passed away years ago, back in the mid-90s or so, from lymphoma, but he, he had a phrase that he said all the time, and I thought of it only after I had said something to these guys at the table during our trip. He says this, and you can see YouTube uh, clips of him saying this as he's painting. He says, we don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents. Because in the midst of the picture forming, you can't tell that all of a sudden he's, he's drawn trees everywhere. How's he going to put a river here? And then he starts to cut the river through the trees. And then all of a sudden the painting is finished and you think, wow, this is more beautiful than I ever thought. And he was trying to, to capitalize on the idea that those, that those mistakes that we look at in our life, they can be considered happy accidents. And so I thought about that afterwards, and I thought, you know what? That'll prove really well for our service on Sunday, because God does the very same thing in our lives. Everything is not as bad as you think it is. It's true. Chances are it could always be better, but like my dad said, it could always be a lot worse. I mean, just imagine, it could be a lot worse. So God does the very same thing in our life. He works wonders in the midst of chaos. He doesn't do this, though, without your choosing him. He does it because you allow him to. A moment that sticks out in particular in my life is a moment that Amy and I faced when we pastored the church in Hawaii. We hit a couple roadblocks, and it was, as I tell people all the time, it was my boot camp experience in ministry. It was tough going for, for the time that we were there. And so at some point, we said, you know what? We, we've got to go back to the mainland. That's what they call us, the mainland, 48, okay? And so we, we have to just be done and go home. Well, when we go home, my parents are in a transition of ministry to leave where they're at. We think God has like wanted us to get out of the Northeast and be in the South, Southeast, whatever, ended in the South Pacific. And now we're like, okay, God, out of that, what are you going to do? And God did something incredible because we needed healing and we needed time of restoration. And we landed here in Mississippi. Her parents pastor a church up near Tupelo. And we, we spent some time with them. We met with the leadership for our churches here in Mississippi. And we said, hey, we don't think we're ready. But when you think we're ready, we'd love to talk to you about whatever God might have for us. I want to tell you, literally in the time frame of our life, when we sat down with the superintendent, he's my boss. When we sat down with him, he said, well, I do have this one opportunity. And I thought to myself, oh, joy, this is going to be a hoot. 
No, but really, it, there, there wasn't much going for us at that time as a church. We'd experienced some own, our own trials and issues and challenges, but as a result of the accidents in my life or the mistakes and the challenges that I faced, all of a sudden we landed in a place which is the hometown of Amy's alma mater because she went there to MC and graduated with her degree, and then we're back in her old stomping grounds and we're building a church in in October, we'll have been here five years, y'all. Give her a hand clap. She deserves it. She stuck with me through all this craziness. And God's done something wonderful. When I look at you this morning, even if you're a guest or you don't come here very often, I am filled with joy because this room is filled with people. It wasn't when we came and that's not as a result of my amazing preaching or our amazing guitars or our amazing whatever, okay? Because we, we, we are a work in progress. We're doing the best we know how, but God's doing something better than we ever imagined. And he's doing it here through you. And we wanna see that continue even in the life of our teenagers and our youth. That's why we talk about having a heart for the house because Jesus actually, do you guys remember when Jesus got angry? Jesus gets really angry in the Bible and he goes into the temple, into the house of God and he flips some tables over and he says, y'all shouldn't be doing this stuff in here. You should be, this is a house of prayer. And he's, it's said of him in that moment, zeal, for his father's house will consume him. It, it will literally, and it's spoken, that was a quote from an Old Testament scripture that's prophesied about Jesus, that zeal, that a, a compassionate heart, like a this is, this is God's house and it's important to me kind of attitude was his attitude. That's the same sort of thing we're trying to drive home as we talk through last week and the next two weeks about having that heart for the house. We want that same zeal that Jesus had to say, you know what? There is no way that teenagers within our reach in our city are gonna go without a biblical foundation. There is no way they're gonna go without the light of the gospel. I'm not having it. I'm putting money in the offering because I am making sure that we can fund that ministry. That's really what it's all about. I think about another happy accident which involves my wife. Um, and that is uh, not just a career path and a decision, but I think about this strange question I got by a friend of mine who I didn't know he had a sister. He called me and he said, hey, you know, a couple months ago, Hurricane Katrina hit and I'm gonna take some teenagers from my church to go down and do demolition work and I'm gonna go down and we're gonna help rebuild. We're gonna hand out water. We're gonna do whatever we can. I know some people down there. And he said, do you wanna come? He was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor. We had befriended each other. And when I got down here, I got to meet my future wife for the very first time. Hurricane Katrina brought me God's woman for me. God's best was hiding somewhere in a tiny little town in Mississippi. And I had to come down here to find her. And it was only as a result of me just saying yes to my future brother-in-law, which I didn't know at that point either. He was going to be my brother-in-law. He's a great friend to this day. Chad, if you listen to this, I love you. All right. So, but having said that though, as a result of that, we met and then God did something miraculous in our life as a result of that happy accident. Why do I say that? Because like I'm an old man who's lost his mind and just sharing a lot of stories today. No, I want to build your faith. Yeah. 
I want you to understand if you're a teenager or a college student or you're single, God's got a good plan for you. Don't screw it up. But if you do, he'll still give you help. Come on. This is the real gospel. Jesus hung out with some ragtag people, just a bunch of guys who, man, I mean, they just couldn't get it right ever, it seems like. And he kept pursuing them. He wants to pursue you too in the middle of whatever you face. And so as a result of Hurricane Katrina, I might be the only person who's alive who can say I got married as a result of meeting my future spouse at a Hurricane Katrina sort of thing where we were uh, cleaning out a house and had gas masks on. It was not very attractive. We had mold up to like the seven, eight foot mark in the house. I was yelling at her. She, that was, it was bad. And uh, anyway, she loves me anyway. She'll tell you the full story if you ask her later. That all to say, this Friday... It's her birthday. So can you wish her a happy birthday this morning? So happy birthday, Amy. I'm thankful for you because really, truly, the handiwork of God has been present in the moments of my life when I, when I most doubted. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in an old person's house with footprints in the sand on the bathroom wall, Okay. But that poem is so true. It's so true that in the moment of, just my grandma had it in her house, okay? But in the moment of those, of those times where we face, we think, God, you left me all alone to deal with this. And God is wanting to work through all of that. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. He, talking about God, has made everything beautiful in its time. The death of winter is long gone. Praise God we don't live in the north where it's literally, they, I have a pastor friend who they're under a threat of 18 inches of a blizzard snow and they were canceling services this weekend. I can't deal. I'm not going back. Please don't, don't. Okay, I love the south. We've always wanted to get back to the south. I love being here. But I say that to say that God makes everything beautiful in its time and the death of winter around here at least has passed. Spring is blooming everywhere. We've had some, I know it was chilly this morning when you got ready, but we've had warm weather and beautiful days. God makes everything, even in the earth, everything beautiful in his time. Now, I have one last thing I wanted to share with you this morning. You're probably wondering what's under this. Underneath this is, an, oh, let's call it a relic. It is, <laughs> it is not a, a relic of antiquity from the Bible days, but it was here in the church and we were filling up dumpsters full of all stuff in different rooms, and we were uh, cleaning, cleaning out stuff, tearing out cabinetry, building walls where there weren't walls before. And I remember spotting this amazing piece of pottery somewhere in the, the, the rubble. And in that moment, I thought to myself, man, that's really cool. I'd hate to throw that out. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'd hate to throw it out. And so I kept it. And I I keep it in my office. It usually has a little glass top on it. It's a little coffee table kind of idea. But I keep it as a reminder of what God can do in our lives. And when I look at this, I don't always like tear up and, and start praying prayers when I look at it. But I, when I look at it, I feel a heart of thankfulness to God for what he's built. Not just in you here in this church, but in me over these past years. Jeremiah chapter 18, and we've got it on the screen for you, or you can look on your device or paper Bible. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse one says this. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. I want to stop just in this moment, and I want you to think about the significant detail inside of this. You have got to be in the right place at the right time hearing his word. You got to make that choice, even on the daily. You got to make the time to read his word and to hear from him. And this is what God is saying to Jeremiah. He says, I want you to get up, get out of your house and go down to the potter's house. The potter's house is where he'd have a wheel and he would be building pottery and making different vessels for different uses. And it says there in verse three, so I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. Verse four says this, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seems good to the potter to do. In other words, he sat down to the wheel with a lump of clay. And if you've ever seen a movie or or understanding of what that looks like, the wheel is spinning. This clay is beginning to form as motion takes, takes over. There's water involved to try to make it shape. They pull the edges out. And then at some point, it turns into something beautiful and stable. They put it in the oven and they harden it so that you can use it for something. They'd do it for vases and for basins of water to drink or to wash things in. They'd do all these things. And here, Jeremiah the prophet is in the potter's house. I don't know if he's staring through the window and looking at the potter as he's building something, but he sees that something's gone wrong in the potter's hands. And the potter has chosen to do something that seems good to him. Because he just, he says, you know what? I'm going to work with what I got. And I so what? I lost a piece over here. I'm going to put this together in a different way, and it's going to come together into something else different but beautiful. So here in verse 5, it says, then the word of the Lord came to me. In verse 6, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So God is talking to the prophet Jeremiah, and you got to hear me, church. He's saying a very specific word to the people of Israel in those days in that time. But God, by divine providence, had those words in scripture so that thousands of years later, I could share them in Clinton, Mississippi with you. Because we're not Israel, you might not have any Jewish blood or heritage, but God can do the same thing. And basically, I feel like God might have had a little bit of an attitude towards Jeremiah. Like, don't you know, I can do what I want and make something awesome out of this. You're in my hand. Isn't that good? To know that you're in his hands and that he wants to make something beautiful. We invest during the Heart for the House series. We invest in a project that we believe God wants us to. And this year, our project is for our teens. We are a small church doing big things right now. And we don't, we're not like some other churches where maybe we got bequeathed money out of wills and stuff like that. Like we literally, if we want to do something, we have to have the money to do it. And we're only able to do that through you. Here's what I want to do. I want every teenager that's here already, I want them to have the hope that I have when I look at this jar. I want them to know that God can do something beautiful regardless of the mistakes they've already made, regardless of what lies ahead. College students, listen to me. Children, listen to me. Whatever it is that you face, God can make something beautiful and useful out of your life if you'll just let him. 
here's the question I have for you today. Are you broken? Are you facing chaos that you can't figure out? Are you in the midst of a challenge or a, or a choice that you don't know what to do? If you say, you know what, Pastor, I, I don't know that I feel his presence guiding me and leading me right now. I just need a little bit of hope in this moment. Would you just slip up your hand? Everybody's eyes is closed. Nobody's judging you, anything like that. Just lift your hand up and say, yes, that's me. I'm in need today. There are hands going up, and I'm thankful for that. Just signify it. Put it down. I just want to take a moment and pray with those who are here. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you, by your Holy Spirit, have used these words to instill hope that in the midst of James and Jeremiah in these passages and all the testimony of Scripture, that today every heart with their hand raised would receive that hope from you today, God. Lord, I thank you that you are still in the pottery business and that you truly do make all things beautiful in its time. Lord, we're trusting you with our lives, with our finances, with our friendships, with our relationship, with our job choice, with our college issues, whatever it is, God. Today, we lay it at your feet and we say, Lord, here's my junk. Make something beautiful out of it.